John chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to, the, to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Verse 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And this is God's word. Good morning, everyone. If you are new or if you are just visiting here today, we are so glad that you are here with us. We are currently going through our sermon series on the Bible. We thought we knew. Um, essentially, we're just going uh, through more of the popular narratives that we find in Scripture, uh, maybe some of those stories that we kind of grew up with. 
And we just, as we go through this, uh, this word, as we go through these more popular texts, uh, the goal, uh, the hope is that we see in a new light accordingly to the gospel that shapes our lives and essentially uh, that gospel that shapes our churches and our cities for his kingdom. So I'm going to ask that you guys would join me in prayer this morning as we dive into the word. Uh, Lord God, we want to thank you at this time. We want to come before you, almighty and sovereign king, for you are good, you are God, and you are the ruler of all of our hearts. So, Lord God, as we proclaim that truth, Lord God, may you speak accordingly to where we are. And, Lord God, each and every one of us, Lord God, in our honest, broken estate, Lord God, we are in need of you. So, Father, may you speak this morning. Lord God, I pray, Lord God, as this word is being shared, Lord, I pray that you will use me. Humble me, but, Lord, empower me, fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord God, that this word will be alive and it will be relevant. Lord, I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands, so I pray that you will use me accordingly to your strength. We praise you, we thank you, in your Son's name we pray, amen. The feeding of the 5,000 it's considered to be one of the most popular uh, miracle narratives in the Bible. And in some shape or form, you, you probably know the story. John chapter 6, we see that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he would turn five loaves and two fish, and he would essentially feed that to the 5,000. If you grew up in the likes of a Sunday school or if you have any slight awareness of the Bible, you're likely to emphasize the miracle itself. I mean, it's a pretty good story. It's a pretty cool narrative about healing. But as grand as this miracle may be, in fact, it's the only miracle documented in all four of the Gospels. The true beauty, how it pertains to our lives, is that there are miraculous implications on how we view it and how it shapes us today. See, in Scripture, whenever we see a miracle, whenever we see a healing account, what we always see is that there is a teaching and there is a purpose that follows the miracle. So with these things considered, I want us to look at the feeding of the 5,000 on a deeper, more uh, meaningful level. In a way, we can see this miracle uh, and allow it to shape how we view the person and work of Christ. But on top of that, consider how it will shape you personally and how we live today. So as we navigate through this proclamation that Jesus Christ is the bread of life and it has it reveals more about where we find our satisfaction and where true satisfaction comes from, I have three points for us this morning. That Jesus as the bread of life, it tells us three things. It tells us of, number one, our true desires. Number two, our greatest need. And finally, our fullest joy, our desires, our need, and our joy. The first point, our true desires. Read verse 25 with me. 
When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, when we look at verse 25, uh, this is taking place just a little bit after uh, the feeding miracle, which we find in the beginning of chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. And here, as Jesus and the disciples, they regather and they recollect and they're ready to get back into uh, their ministry context, one might expect that as they see Jesus again, they would be completely overwhelmed by his presence because we see Jesus healing and performing miracles. So when you see the 12 disciples just recollect with Jesus, you think it would be in awe and worship and glory. But verse 26 actually tells us that this was not the case. It says, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus is essentially saying to his disciples, you guys are fraudulent. Don't pretend you're looking for me because of me and my deity and my power and my sovereignty. You are looking for me because of what I just gave you. Now the beauty of this that Jesus, he could have responded in many ways. But how does Jesus respond in his sovereign grace? He makes it a teaching moment. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus, as the great teacher, as the wonderful counselor, he makes it a teaching moment, and he declares at this time, he says to my disciples, the Father has placed the seal of approval upon me, meaning God the Father certified me as the source of food that will give eternal life. He gave me certification. He gave me a seal of approval. When you think about the things in this life, right, what attracts us is when there is a certification, when there's a seal of approval, because when you see a seal of approval pressed upon something, you know you can trust in it. Well, when Jesus says that there is a seal of approval upon me, he is saying God the Father has declared me as this. What's the problem? What's the struggle about this truth? The problem is this for you and I. We often find our seals of approval in food that spoils. In other words, the problem is we find our seals of approval the things of this world that we are constantly working for rather than the one who already approved us as worthy from the start. Essentially, what I'm talking about is this issue of idolatry. And I want to unpack this word idolatry a little bit. It's going to be our hashtag word for today. What do I mean by idolatry? Question 17 of the New City Catechism says this. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance and security. 
Scripture would kind of speak into this as well. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served to create their, the creature, excuse me, rather than the creator. Now, see, if I can break this down just a little bit, in a sense, there is nothing wrong with food that spoils. In fact, I would argue is that God created these things so all of creation can enjoy just a little bit of his goodness. The problem becomes is when we start to desire the created thing over the creator, that we place the gifts above the giver, the bread of this world over the bread of life. And it comes in many shapes or forms. It can be your relationship, the relationship that you desire. It could be the friend that you're pursuing. It could be the significant other. It can be success. It can be the career path that you've always been wanting to go on. And you do anything and everything to get it. It can be in the context of school and your grades and your desire for a perfect 4.0. It can be your status and how people view you through a filter. And for many of us, it can even be faith-based ministry. To be transparent with you guys, my biggest idolatry is what I'm doing as I'm preaching to you guys. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel? And it's because of this idolatry, the desires of our heart, we tend to overlook what God has been doing in our entire lives, and rather we look to the created things that enslave us. And if we are honest, our true desires is always found in the work for food that spoils. We selfishly pursue our wants for temporary satisfaction. We always want a seal of approval from these things because we think it's going to fill us. But as our lives show, they constantly fail. And not to put a spoiler alert on, it will constantly fail you. Idolatry is simply just empty calories. It's fast food for the soul. And the question I have for us today, what does your heart truly desire? Is it the bread of life? Is it God himself that has already given you approval? Or are you seeking approval from something else? that just leaves you wanting for more. So the question becomes, how do we get from what we want to what we actually need? That leads us to our second point, our greatest need. When we seek for the approval of our idols, you know, what happens is, is we tend to lose trust in the one that has already approved us, through the righteousness of Christ. And I think it's because of this uh, a notion of working for approval. What it does is it actually sadly uh, leads us into having this presupposition about God. So we begin to ask these questions about God and salvation just as the disciples asked Jesus. Look at verse 28. Then they asked him, 
what must we do to do the work God requires? See, it's interesting, if you look at verse 28, that even God's disciples wrestled with a works-based salvation against a faith-based salvation. They're asking, Jesus, what kind, of, uh, what kind of work does God require from me? Meaning what they're asking is, how do I accomplish this salvation thing? And once again, Jesus, wonderful counselor, great teacher, he responds in grace. Look at what he says, verse 29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. He's making it very, very transparent. He's making it as clear as daylight. He said, do not base your salvation based on your works and your hands that can heal, but place your works and your faith into the hands that are healing you. What does he mean when he says to believe in the one he has sent? Well, verse 31, 30 and 31 so they asked him, what sign then, when, then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors, they ate the man in the wilderness. At his written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. See, when we see this question, it's actually referring to the Old Testament. And what we see is the Old Testament uh, a highlight word of manna. What was manna? Manna was simply bread from heaven to eat. Just to set up some historical context, uh, during the 40 years uh, between the time the Israelites left Egypt to enter the promised land, the Israelites in the wilderness, they faced uh, harsh conditions. Uh, they faced much uncertainty. Uh, and this included this lack of food. They didn't even know when their next meal was coming from. So God of Israel, Yahweh, true God, to alleviate this problem, God would miraculously provide the Israelites with bread from heaven, manna. And then this manna would, by God's grace, just come every day to them in the morning. The Israelites would be given specific instruction on how to gather it and to enjoy it. See, for the Israelites, Moses was sent as an, an appointed messenger from God that will lead his people to the promised land and provide manna in the wilderness. And Jesus, he's paralleling it back to the Israelites, but what he is making very clear is that this sign of provision is not from Moses, but to someone who is greater. Verse 32 and 33 Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. What is the point? The point is this. Moses came down with the promise of manna to lead the way to the promised land. But when Jesus Christ came down and says, I am the bread of life, he is declaring, I am all that you need in your wilderness. 
Jesus Christ, the bread of life, is a declaration to say that he is the way, the truth, to the life, to the Father. Jesus is declaring, I am the greater Moses, for I perfectly interceded on your behalf. That I went through the greater wilderness on the cross. I provided the greater manna, for I offered up not just bread, but I offered my body and blood for the world to see. Fully broken for you. Jesus Christ is the only seal of approval. And we see it as we worship a resurrected king. So, family... I just want to let you know this morning that in your wilderness, in light of your sin and suffering, when you are tempted to find satisfaction and joy in the things that offer you temporary pleasure just to get by, remember, God did not send his son for you to just get by. God sent down from heaven the bread of life, to give you daily sustenance for the day, grace for the moment, and hope for tomorrow. And as an overflow of joy, may you encounter the true manna, for it is in Christ, and he is our fullest joy. And that does lead us to our final point. Read verse 34 and 35 with me. Third, he said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Here, Jesus' disciples are spiritually woke, they're finally realizing that there is a bread that is much more filling than the bread of this world. So they ask for it. And Jesus says, well, here you have it. Here I am, for I am that bread that you are seeking. I am the bread of life. Now, in all of Scripture, whenever you see I am is actually a declarative statement. And it's a declarative statement of holiness and perfection. In Exodus, you see that God, in his full form, he says, I am who you say that I am. I mean, I am God. I am king. I am ruler of all. And you are my people, and I love you. So when you see this term, I am, when you see this phrase, I am, it's a declarative statement of who he is, the great I am. But what I love about this passage and what I love about what Jesus declares, he says, I am the bread of life. The greatness of God becoming less. Manna from heaven to bread of life. Fullness, completion, and perfection to fully broken. And what I love about this I am, the bread of life, is to show 
to communicate to your brokenness today. Jesus was fully broken so that the gospel can speak into your brokenness right now. The great I am became less, that his body had to be broken, fully breakable, so we can partake in the fullest joy in the bread of life. That when we find our nourishment and our fulfillment in the bread of life, what does he give you? He gives you life. How do we know this? Well, when Jesus declares, I am the bread of life, we look into the Greek. Now, in the Greek, there are several words for life. And most times, it's often the word bios. That's where we get the word biology. When we see the word bios, it means food. It's physical life. My body needs life, right? So that's what we often see in Scripture. But when we see verse 35 and he says, I am the bread of life, Jesus does not say, I am the bread of bios. Jesus actually goes much deeper. In verse 35, we see the Greek word zoe. Now, what is zoe? Zoe is not just life in a biological sense, but on a deeper, more, more real, more tangible spiritual level. When we see Zoe, it's not referring to a, 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 a quantitative measure of how many years you will live per se, but rather a qualitative sense of life. Meaning, when he says, I am the bread of life, I'm just giving you more than a, a daily bread, which is important. But what Jesus is saying is, I offer a deeper freedom I offer you a deeper hope, and in me, for your identity, when it is in me, I give you a greater joy. For you are no longer identified by the idols that surround you, but you are now identified about the God who was in you. And the fullness of joy begins when you realize this truth. That joy is always from the inside out. It's never outside in. Probably preaching to the choir when I say, how many times have these relationships that have surrounded you? How many times have you been in a relationship or a friendship and they keep on disappointing you and they keep on disappointing you and they keep on ruining you because you depend on them so much? Because that's what's going to happen. If you focus on these relationships and these circumstances from the outside in, you'll never find true joy because you're always going to want more of it. If it's not the one thing, you're going to want the other. It never ends. That's how we're wired in some shape or form. So what the gospel says, the power of the gospel, the freedom of the gospel, the truth of the gospel is to say is that I have an eternal, everlasting relationship that is in me I see it on the cross, and I see it in the history of Scripture, and this one is everlasting. See, everything on this world's joy is temporary. It's a temporary fix, and it's actually destroying your soul. So come to Christ, the bread of life, a permanent declaration 
and he's actually increasing the fullness of your life. Now, practically speaking, how do we know if we are intaking this bread of life? I mean, how do we know that this proclamation that Jesus is the bread of life becomes true for us? Look at verse 41 through 44 with me. As this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? So this is from Jesus, verse 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves. Now, when we see grumbling, uh, this is actually a reference to the grumbling of the Israelites, uh, specifically Exodus chapter 16. We talk about that wilderness and the desire for manna on the way to the promised land. But what we saw with the Israelites is they were constantly grumbling. All was asked was to simply trust in God, but in the wilderness, rather than an inside-out In the process, in the difficulty of this path, they started seeing things from the outside in. So now they're looking at the water. Now they're looking at the food. Now they're looking at the comfort. Now they're wanting more. And now it's grabbing their attention. And they start to grumble because they don't have it. And Jesus, in verse 43, he says, stop grumbling. How do you know if you're intaking this truth that Jesus is the bread of life? Well, I don't want to be harsh and just say stop grumbling. We we, we vent, we share, we process, we pray, we cry. But the grumbling that I'm seeing in, in Exodus was actually a very sinful notion against God. Specifically, it was a lack of trust. What do I mean by What does it mean to stop grumbling? It it means to process this trust into Yahweh. It's a process when you're slowly realizing that the worldly offerings that you so enjoy are not good enough, and you know and you realize that you need something a little bit more. It's a process. At the end of this message, you know, I don't have, we don't have any expectation to say, Jesus is the bread of life. I'm ready to go home. Hallelujah. Amen. I mean, that's, I don't know if that's, I don't know if life works that way. But my hope and my prayer is that grumbling will lead to worship. And it's a process to begin to trust him more. How do we trust him more? It's when you realize that all of the things and all of the idols that surrounded you have been lying to you your entire life. So how can we not trust in God? It becomes less grumbling. It becomes more trusting. It becomes less bitterness, and now it's more healing. There becomes less anger, and now there is more joy. Be reminded that the bread of life Jesus Christ, he completes and overfills with, you, with joy. It's an overflow of joy because of a life that was empty on the cross. 
I will close with verse 51. Verse 51, and I will be out your way. Read verse 51 with me. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, when you look at verse 51, as we come to a close, uh, the bread is my flesh. It's kind of a new element into this whole John chapter 6 proclamation. And in this new element, a lot of commentators, they argued that this is referring to a communion. And it might not be to the full extent. I do see some truth into that. Because later in the Gospels, uh, specifically in the book of Mark, it says in 14 verse 22, while they were eating, Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. What does this mean for us today, guys, as we come to a close? If Jesus Christ sacrificed his body with the full consideration of you, he gave his life, he broke it for restoration, the challenge is, is will you join us and do the same? Will you consider others? Will you break bread for the sake of the gospel? Will you consider doing it within the context of community? In other words, will you consider, will you commit to growing with relationships, outpour, outpour towards people just as Christ outpoured towards us? Not for your name's sake, not for Metro's sake, but for the sake of of the kingdom. Just as Jesus Christ, the bread of life, broke bread amongst his disciples, so, you can, so he said, have a meal, enjoy it, enjoy me, and enjoy all of my glory. Will you consider to do that, to do life with others, practically in the context of a meal, for the sake of his name and his glory? That is my hope. And that is my prayer. Let's pray.